Welcome to the Small Nonprofit Podcast with down-to-earth practical advice on how to get things done in your small organization. You are going to change the world and we can help. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Anya McGlynn. Hello, everybody. So, Anya, we've talked a lot about anti-oppression work with organizations. We've talked about the need for diversity and representation with your board, with your leadership, with your staff. You know, all those things are ongoing work that we as a sector need to do. But today, I want us to also add to that conversation the need to be deliberate around diversifying your donor base as well. That's right. I think it requires this, um, the same level of intentionality uh, to the effort that you put in to engage uh, yeah, a more diverse staff, uh, board, or uh, network of leadership volunteers. Um, doesn't happen by accident. No. <laughs> and that's like when, when I got into this conversation with, with Bobby, uh, that, that thing stuck with me, actually. This is sit, sat with me for a number of years, which is we're so focused and rightfully so on all these efforts. Um, and I always, you know, at fundraising conferences that I've been to over the years, and this is over the last 15, 20 years, you know, it's always like, okay, we got we to gotta diversify our boards. We got to diversify our boards. We got to diversify our boards. Like if you build it, they will come belief around diversity. And it's not that passive. Like, yes, we need to start with our leadership. It needs to be reflective of our, our, the communities we serve. But your donor base, as you said, is not going to passively follow that leadership. You have to be intentional, right? This commitment to diversity has to actually infiltrate all areas of our work as an organization, not just leadership, not just you know hiring practices, but in fact, our communities should be reflective in our donor bases as well. Absolutely. I mean, I'd be curious to uh, to ask our listeners, like, when's the last time you thought about like a multi-language campaign, right? You know, especially mm-hmm. for those of us who live in in Canada's urban centers, where that are increasingly diverse. I mean, I, I live in a multilingual um, household, and let me tell you, my partner never gets appeals in Spanish. Um, <laughs> just doesn't happen, right? But perhaps if she did, I I can tell you, uh, it would really resonate with her, um, and it would it would feel as though she was being. Uh, cared for and spoken to directly. Yeah. I think that's such a beautiful example because really it is understanding the the people you're engaging with and um, meeting them where they are. Right. So, and, and a lot of what, and there's such diversity in diversity, right? Like there's not a one size fits all answer. It's not like this one language, you're going to have to make decisions. You're going to have to understand your donor base, which we advocate for all the time, but also then who your who are your existing donors and where are you going to start? Right. It's not like you can throw the label diversity on and you're reaching all these different groups, right? Different groups have different ways of engaging in philanthropy and of participating in their communities. And so you're going to have to think about where do we start? You know, what makes, um, what's best aligned with our mission and our community. Uh, and, you know, this is as, as a lot of things we talk about. Uh, this is a sort of lifelong practice 
for our organizations. This is not a once and done, or if you build it, it, they will come. This is, we need to be intentional and deliberate always. Exactly. 100%. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, with that, it's such a pleasure to welcome Bobby Sani to the podcast. Bobby Sani is the partner and co-founder of Ethnicity Matters. As the former head of multicultural marketing at Rogers Communications, Bobby's successful initiatives have earned him recognition as a leading Canadian authority on ethnic on ethnic marketing. He founded Ethnicity Matters together with partner Howard Lichman in 2013. In addition to spearheading Rogers' multicultural marketing success over recent years, Bobby brings nearly two decades of cutting-edge achievements in developing, executing, and managing multicultural marketing initiatives. Bobby has earned national and international recognition for his work in both Canada and the United States. Today, he is also a sought-after educator, expert, and speaker who guest lectures at Canadian universities and delivers keynote addresses in industry events and conferences across North America. Bobby earned his joint MBA from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University and the Schulich School of Business at York University. He holds a Bachelor's of Science from the University of Waterloo. Please join me in welcoming Bobby to the podcast. Bobby, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Cindy. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to chat with you. Uh, You and I had a great conversation when we were planning the podcast episode. And, you know, we've talked a lot about, and I know organizations right now are really diving into their commitment around anti-racism and anti-oppression and, you know, what that looks like from a board and governance perspective and from a staffing and inclusion perspective. But something we haven't talked about that you're talking a lot about is how we think of it from a philanthropy perspective and a fundraising perspective. So tell me a little bit about how you came to this space. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I mean, I'll give you a, a little bit of, about my background. Um, you know, my, my interest in, in this topic actually did start in anti-racism. And, and I was very much involved, you know, from my, from my high school days in, in a lot of anti-racism uh, and race relations efforts. So I think that's where my, my interests uh, really peaked in terms of understanding um, different cultural communities, different uh, religious communities, and, and really what are some of the unique challenges um, uh, faced uh, by all these, uh, these communities. You know, fast forward to where I am today, um, I've spent almost 20 years uh, in the field of multicultural marketing. And, you know, a lot of people don't really know what multicultural marketing is, but essentially in a, in a country as diverse as, as Canada, uh, we really need to understand the unique preferences of our cultural communities um, you know a lot of a lot of um, the unique preferences that these community have um, that's really where I've spent my time uh, building my career and understanding those those preferences so to your point I think obviously diversity and inclusion anti-racism um, very important topics I'd say in 2020 very hot topics um, my my hope is that they don't just remain um, you know, uh, passing topics. I think these are these are things that need to to stay, and these are conversations that need to be uh, ongoing uh, mm-hmm. as we we try and make uh, ourselves and our society better. Um, but really, the the arena that I've been living in 
uh, is, is really from a, a growth, uh, a sales, and a marketing perspective. How can organizations grow um, understanding that uh, Canada uh, as a country uh, or really a lot of uh, countries really around the globe, how they are changing from a demographics perspective and how mm-hmm. can you use this demographic shift to your advantage to help grow your organizations? So I'd say in the last few years, my interest in the area of, I'll call it quote unquote, multicultural philanthropy, um, you know, if, if that even exists, if it didn't exist before it does now, um, really how do um, how does anyone in philanthropy or in fundraising uh, need to go about, um, uh, you know, connecting their, their cause, their mission, and ultimately um, grow funds, grow volunteerism, um, grow engagement uh, by, by tapping into the unique preferences and, and needs of, of the multicultural communities? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's really where I, I spend my time. I think um, I, I think it's, it's not a widely understood uh, topic. Uh, I think obviously right now diversity inclusion is uh, the lead topic for more, many organizations, which I think is great because I think it really starts um, as an internal journey and, and understanding uh, from the inside of an organization um, what you need to be uh, to the outside world. Um, but where, where I come in and where I've spent my time is really how do you connect the, the dots then with the outside world and, and really engage with these uh, di- diverse communities ultimately. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that it's not just, you know, having pictures of racially diverse people on your social media or buying into, I've seen organizations struggle with this idea of some of their marketing might reinforce some of the more negative stereotypes or things, you know, sort of box people in based on um, race. So how do we do this in a meaningful way where we're actually engaging with those communities in a way that's meaningful for them and that reinforces our commitment to anti-racism? No, absolutely. It's a great question. And I know a lot of organizations think it's, it's just that simple. Um, you know, let's swap out an image, let's translate a language, um, you know, clap your hands, done, we, we did our job. But, but absolutely, that, that's not the right approach. And, and if anything, you can do more damage um, mm-hmm. by, by taking that approach. Um, you know, for me, I, I'm, a, I'm a strategist at heart. You know, for me, uh, strategy is, is the cornerstone of, of change uh, for organizations. But in order to get to strategy, you need data. Uh, data is the building blocks of strategy. So if we focus first and foremost on the data, um, you know, you'll find uh, uh, using Canada as an example, um, Canada is one of the most multicultural countries in the world. Um, but there's a few macro trends that are actually shifting our, our population in this country. One, we're an aging population. Number two, we don't have enough babies. Because of these two macro trends, um, not enough babies, aging population, we would actually have a declining population by the year 2031 or 2036, I believe, if it wasn't for immigration. 
So mm-hmm. again, Canada is regarded as as uh, you know one of the most multicultural countries in the world. Uh, very accepting and open to newcomers and refugees, and and you know we we all applaud that, and mm-hmm. and and we should. But there's actually a business case for all of that as well. Mm-hmm. Because of that aging population, we need immigrants to come to this country to to ensure that our population will continue to grow. If we don't have population in growth in this country, you don't have work being done. You don't have work being done. You don't have people paying taxes. You don't have people paying taxes. We lose a lot of, you know, the, the luxuries that we, we have come to uh, appreciate as, as being Canadian as citizens. And, and I, you know, that, that background or that rationale, um, you know, is, is, is holds true for a lot of other countries as well. I'm using Canada as an example, but a lot of other countries are going through this same sort of um, demographic tsunami, if you will, um, because of these, these macro trends. Now, if, if Canada as a country is, is changing, uh, the population is changing, that means with the influx of immigrants coming to this country, they're bringing with them unique preferences from back home. What mm-hmm. they watch, what they eat, where they shop, um, you know, how they think, where they're going to give ultimately as well. So it's our responsibility, um, and I will say as strategists, and we mm-hmm. should all be strategists, uh, you know, irrespective of what role you play in an organization, we should all think strategically and really take the time to understand these important nuances across those communities. Because I can tell you, you know, swapping out an image or translating a language isn't going to fundamentally change um, you know, a consumer mindset of, of where they're going to give if you actually haven't connected with them and created that cultural relevancy. Mm-hmm. And what we find is that the, the organizations that don't take the time to understand this demographic shift and the unique um, cultural levers to create that relevancy, those organizations that don't take the time to understand that are, are going to lose. But if as a, as a sector, if we don't take the time to understand it, there's a reason why a lot of immigrants in, in Canada in particular and, and other parts of the, the world are, are actually entrepreneurs as well because mm. they're actually they're able to assess the gaps that exist and they fill those gaps um, you know in, in order to to meet the the needs um, that that aren't being fulfilled so I think we really have to look at things strategically we can't um, trivialize things we can't um, we, we can't just pay lip lip service or, or just make token efforts because Absolutely, we will be called out on those things, and and if anything, that you'll be you'll be going backwards versus going forwards. Yeah. Now, part, you know, one of the you mentioned communities, and I think it's really important to emphasize the plural because we're not talking about a singular population mm-hmm. or a, you know a singular way of connecting with people because there's diversity in our immigrant populations as Absolutely. well, um, and so how. How should an organization think about, I mean, going back to that data and strategy piece, like how do you start to do this work in a meaningful way, understanding that 
you're not going to do one thing and it's not going to, and it's going to connect with all those communities that in fact, this is, you know, a much more complex and diverse group in and of itself that requires different strategies. Yeah. Well, firstly, I would say this is, you know, any organization that is going down this path, it is absolutely a journey. So this is not something you're going to be able to crack in, uh, you know, a month or two months or six months or a year or, or five years, it's, it's constantly evolving and changing. So yeah. I think every organization really needs to, first and foremost, develop a strategic mindset and understand that there is no one size fits all. You know, we are living in a world where, um, you know, customization and personalization is so important that, that it applies to, to this journey as well. So I, I think in order to, to start that, absolutely organizations that are focused on, on diversity and inclusion and belonging right now, it's got to start as an internal uh, journey. I think it, it must start at the board level and at the leadership level uh, where leadership needs to all buy in and say that this is an important journey for our organization to take uh, because really they're going to set the tone for the top for, for all other uh, employees and stakeholders in, involved in a, in a particular uh, mission or a, or a cause or an organization. Um, secondly, we live in a data rich world. Now there is so much data available out there um, you know, it behooves us not to take the time to, to tuck into that data. Um, you know, if, if you, you talked about community and how we define community. Well, if we look at it from a geographical standpoint, first and foremost, and I can, again, speak for Canada, the provinces, the municipalities, they have a lot of rich data about the people that live within their province or, or their city. So, why don't we start there and actually look at the makeup of the quote unquote communities that we are servicing. Um, we can look at things like age breakdown. We can look at uh, religious breakdown. We can look at language uh, preferences. We can look at gender. We can look at religion. There's so many different nuggets out there to help us firstly understand who are we dealing with. I Once upon a time, I, I worked in banking and the, the term KYC was very popular in banking. It's know your customer. So in the same regard, if we're tapping into a particular community and if we're defining again that community by geography, there is a lot of rich data out there that's available. Now, the other thing that we have to understand, and I think you alluded to this, you know, there is diversity within diversity as well. Mm -hmm. So how do we go one step further and how do we, how do we look at people and, and how do we understand that they don't necessarily just identify with one community? They may identify with multiple communities. So yes, by geographical boundary, that might be one community. My religion, my, my gender, my age, maybe other communities. I may own a dog. I may be part of the dog owner community as well. So I think we really need to take the time to understand uh, people a little bit better and, and how they actually define themselves. So once we've taken the time to, to really understand the quote unquote communities that we're dealing with uh, and, and taking the time to understand the nuances, um, you know, we've, we've developed various segments then. You know, once we've gone and developed those segments, how do we then target them? How do we communicate with them? How do we connect with them? 
it's again understanding what are their preferences and i can speak you know from from my experience again in the world of multicultural marketing um mm-hmm. Yes, images, style and language absolutely is important, but that cultural relevance is very important as well. I can yeah. tell you from a family structure perspective as an example, depending on your ethnicity, your connection to your family or the way you integrate or 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 work with your family might be different um one to the next. Your um perception of a boss might be different from one family to the next your regard for education might change uh based on on your your upbringing or your ethnic background so i think it we really need to take the time to 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 drill down uh get really granular into the details to really understand people um but the good news is once we do formulate these communities we find certain common denominators uh and yeah. and that's where we can actually develop scale uh yeah. and have a strategy i mean i've i've probably k- killed the word strategy in the last 5 minutes but i'll say it again you know it, it's really got to be about having a game plan because yeah. what i i see a lot of organizations do is they will throw mud at the wall um see what sticks and and to be honest if they fail and if it doesn't stick they they walk away and say well it didn't really work let's go back to to doing what we used to do before yeah um, yeah i think it's about having a game plan and actually within that game plan giving yourself permission to fail giving yourself mm. permission to try different things and understanding that not everything we do is going to work so i yeah. i think it, and again it, it it it's really about having courage Uh, and and that starts with the leadership as well um in in trying to make these uh the best outcomes for your strategy. Mhm. Mhm. I have lots of questions I want to ask you, but I want to start with one that's been on my mind as you've been talking. Um so we understand the diversity and diversity um but you've done some research and I'm wondering if there are common preferences um that we should be looking at or be paying attention to in terms of how to engage people in philanthropy um is there anything common or is it really just uh getting to know the specific community you're working with so uh, you know we 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 did embark on on one of the the biggest um studies in Canadian history looking at um multicultural and immigrant philanthropy in Canada uh, in mm-hmm. partnership with with Imagine Canada um So what we found in that research study and we surveyed, you know, thousands of 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 individuals right across this country uh, across various ethnic groups. You know, one common denominator that we found and we were glad to find this is that immigrant communities, multicultural communities have the tens- tendency to give. So that in for many of these communities it's something that is in, ingrained in their again what I like to call cultural baggage it's 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 what they know um they have propensity to give in in certain cases we found um one's religion plays a, a big part in that you know it's actually part of their religious teachings or upbringing to to actually donate a, a portion of of their uh their earnings to charity um we saw that volunteerism uh right across the board was was absolutely something that was was common um but you know as we've we've discussed there is diversity within diversity and and we did find that depending on the ethnic community you come from 
depending on your tenure in Canada, you know, whether you are a, a new immigrant that's come to this country in the last three months, or if you've been uh, an individual that's been here for 10, 15, 20 years, or if you're a second generation, you know, born and raised in the country like, like I have, there are actually certain uh, differences that you would see uh, across the board there as well. We also saw province by province, there were differences as well. So I think we can't necessarily say that, you know, we can bucket everybody in, in, in one, uh, one way and say, well, this is how it is. And any organization that's listening to this podcast, if you do these two things, you're going to win. Um, no, I think what we've developed is a, is a great tool. I mean, the, the research, uh, which is free, available for, for download via Imagine Canada's website, um, I think there's over 200 pages of, of data um, you know, that we've shared with everybody. And, and even, I, I would say, irrespective of what country you might be from as well, there's a lot of parallels on learnings um, that you can gain from a study like this as, as well. Um, you know, we, we saw certain things were, were common denominators. I'd say, you know, from, a, from an immigrant mentality standpoint, I would say that 99% of immigrants... Um, you know, are leaving one country and going to another. Why? For a better life for themselves and their children. That's really what they're doing it for. For a lot of immigrant communities, your children is, it's your biggest investment that, that you're making. You know, we, we see often immigrants, you know, leaving comfortable jobs or, or in some cases, master's degrees or, or um, you know, professions that they had back home and then they relocate to another country. And in a lot of cases, they've got to start over because their, their credentials, whether it's their academic credentials or their work experience, um, doesn't hold true in the next country. So they are actually willing to start fresh, start over. Um, and they're willing to make that sacrifice for their, their children. So I, I think what we'll see with a lot of um, nonprofits, you know, anything to do with, with children and enriching the lives of children. I think uh, health is a common mm-hmm. denominator. And I think, again, with, you know, in 2020, uh, especially with, with COVID, I think health and wellness has become top of mind, irrespective of what cultural community you come from. You know, everybody is yeah. thinking about health and, and wellness, and that includes mental health, mental Mental health is health as well. So it's mm-hmm. really right across the board. Um, I think, you know, we did also see affinity to, in certain cases, uh, international causes as well. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I mean, I think it's, it's a very logical as, as immigrants come uh, to this country or go to other countries, they still have an affinity or a feeling of belonging for those people that they left back home. And in a lot of cases, they feel it's, it's their duty to, to continue to contribute um, to whether it's those loved ones or, or, or particular causes back home as well. Um, the other interesting nugget, though, that we did find was in a lot of cases, right across all the cultural communities, there is an affinity to give to their own cultural communities or religious groups uh, in Canada. Mm-hmm. And again, if we dissect that, a lot of, and this goes back to how we define community. So a lot of these individuals, especially as immigrants coming to this country, that's where they they find their first sense of belonging is with people that have had the same 
challenges or 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 story uh, as them or speak the same language eat the same food um, practice the same religion for a lot of people that is how they define community and they feel it is their moral obligation to give back to their own community you know i myself i was born and raised um, in canada uh, my parents are Indian immigrants, and one of the things that we learned at an, a very early age is that we give back to our own community, and it's something that I have done uh, all my life. Now, as as I've grown older and as I've understood a little bit more about philanthropy and, and community, I've understood that my the way I define community will be in multiple ways. So like I said, I belong to many communities now, not only my own cultural or religious community, but based on the geographical boundaries I live in, based on my preferences, um, you know, I, I belong to a number of different communities. So I, I think for a lot of the people that might be listening to this podcast, um, I, I think there's a real opportunity to invite more people to your cause or, or, or to your charity or to your mission. Um, that, sorry, that's another, you just reminded me, one of the biggest findings that we found from this research was actually that right across the board, immigrant communities, multicultural communities actually have a willingness to give more, whether it's more money or more time in terms of volunteerism, but they felt like charities, nonprofits weren't speaking to them directly. Mm -hmm. So if you mm -hmm. talk to them, if you speak to them, if they, if you invite them to your mission and connect with them and say, what we are doing applies to you as well, and we need you to join us in this mission, that's really what's going to help you ra raise funds amongst these communities. Amazing. Yeah, that was enough. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think that's so great, Anna. And we talk about good fundraising as building relationships, as creating a sense of belonging. And I think, I mean, that's essentially what you're saying is uh, get to know the people you're engaged with, build a sense of community amongst your supporters, so that they feel part of your organization. Yeah. Um, and so, and I think that's just such an important point to remember and that as organizations looking or looking to reinforce our commitment to anti-racism, you know, we have to look beyond just uh, internal to our organization and philanthropy. I mean, I truly feel like we could have a day long conversation about longer yeah. around who we think of as philanthropists mm -hmm. Um and I think that's starting to shift. And I think that uh, this is a really important part of that conversation, which is, you know, not the business case you made very clear, right? Like the population is changing. And in fact, we will run out of those, you know, traditional older white donors who, you know, we think of or we picture in our head when, when you say philanthropist and really philanthropy is all around us in the community communities that we serve um, in the populations that are joining our country. And it's incumbent on us to, to build those communities and to really connect in a meaningful way with people. Um, yeah. I, I think that's so so great and so important um, and a really good reminder that, uh, you know, 
this anti-racism work is is complex and uh, importantly so. Um, Bobby, where can our listeners learn more about you, find the report or the research that you've done with um, Imagine Canada and anything else you want to share? Yeah, absolutely. So my, my company uh, is called Ethnicity Matters. We're based in, in Toronto. Uh, you can check out our, our website, uh, ethnicitymatters.com. Um, feel free to, to reach out there anytime. I'm also pretty active on, on social media, mostly on, on LinkedIn and, and Twitter. Uh, you can search for my name, B-O-B-B-Y-S-A-H-N-I. I am happy to connect with anyone and really just talk about uh, about this stuff. It's something that's very near and dear to my heart. I, I think you mentioned, you know, one one thing for me. It's anyone that is going down this this journey, this path. Firstly, yes, it is it is a it is a journey, and I think everybody needs to feel comfortable enough having conversations with people. I think mm-hmm. people need to feel comfortable enough asking those stupid questions that are not stupid. They're, they're very valid questions and, and everybody needs a sounding board, um, you know, j- just to be able to, to talk and communicate. Um, so, you know, whether, whether you're in an, or- in an organization and, and thinking about, well, how can we diversify our fundraising efforts? How can we reach out to these communities um, you know, I'm happy to have a conversation uh, with anyone about that. Uh, but also for your, for yourselves, you know, I, I firmly believe it's it is friend raising before fundraising. Absolutely, um, you've got to get out there and talk to people. You know, it yeah. could be starting with your own diverse staff that might belong to different cultural communities, and and I think, you know, from a from a prehistoric HR perspective, we've all been taught not to talk about race and ethnicity and religion and, and those type of things in the workplace. And, and we try and, you know, all fit in and, and be one thing. But I, I encourage those conversations. The, the one thing we all have in common is that we are different. And if mm-hmm. we are different, let's talk about those differences. Let's be open. Let's ask questions. Let's be curious about it. That's the only way we are going to learn about one another. You know, one of the things I used to do at a very early age even though I couldn't, you know, speak multiple languages, I used to pick up newspapers from different ethnic communities. So mm. I pick up the, the Spanish paper, the Arabic paper, the Filipino paper, the Tamil paper, the Chinese paper, etc. And I would just flip through them, not because I couldn't read or anything, but still there's a lot of visuals there. There's a lot of things, there's a lot of cues that would help me understand these communities a little bit better. Um, and then when I did meet people from these different cultural backgrounds, it actually gave me a conversation starter as well. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways to go at this. I think there's, there's no rule book that you're going to be reading. We're all writing that rule book together. So, uh, yeah. you know, I, I highly uh, encourage everybody to, to, you know, be curious, ask a lot of questions meet people um, because I think there's a lot of potential for, for everybody out there to grow yeah. not only as, as organizations, but also as individuals as well. Amazing. I just want to repeat what you said in terms of 
we're all making the rule book together. I think that's yeah. such a lovely note to uh, to end off on um, because we're we're all in this work together, right? We all want to make the world a better place, and yeah. the best way to do that is to work together towards it. So, Bobby, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. And uh, thanks, of course, to our listeners for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week.